It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van Alstom. We're recording this week at the Buona in Skokie. Buona Skokie, 3754 West Tui. I'm James Van Alstom, and Buona turned your favorite plant-based Italian beefless sandwich into a bowl. It's complete with sweet peppers and the new vegan cheese. You can enjoy comfort by the bowlful this winter and cozy up with this twist on a classic today. And I'm going to. I'm going to cozy up with that twist on a classic today. And if you want to go to Buona and uh, take some money, hey, everyone's looking to save some money, take 10% off your online or app order by using my promo code CARNE, C-A-R-N-E 10. Help yourself. Try the beefless bowl or try the classic Italian beef. It is it is the stuff of legend. I'm curious. Speaking of the stuff of legend, that man right there. I'm ve- I'm veggie curious, veggie carne bowl. Is that what I'm it says on your dating yet, profiles? But, You're veggie uh, curious. Yes. <laughs> so urge overkill, ladies. Yes. Entered the 1990s. Urge entered the 90s as one of Chicago's coolest, most exciting, riff delivering bands. Urge Overkill was the band that other bands wanted to hang out with. They still do. But, I mean, Urge Overkill opened up for Nirvana on the Nevermind tour. Pearl Jam on the Versus tour. I mean, holy shit. We did. Uh, And your songs were all over the radio. There was Sister Havana, Positive Bleeding. Of course, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, originally released on the Stull EP in 1992. Uh, By the way, I didn't have any Urge wear. The best I could do was a Stull t-shirt. Stull Cemetery. Not bad. Thank you. I've never seen that before. That's pretty impressive. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yes, there was Girl, Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, which, of course, took off on Pulp Fiction. And then 1995 saw the release of Exit the Dragon. The wheels might have come off at that point a little bit. Still love the album. And then the next time we'd hear from Urge would be Rock and Roll Submarine in 2011. Here we are in 2022, weeks away from We, the first album since then. As mentioned, I'm James Van Ossel. That right there. Eddie King Roser, the King from Urge Overkill. A shock to most. The the next record, yes. Let's I mean, start there. What what is the status of Urge Overkill in twenty twenty two? Well, to be, to uh, make a long story short, uh, you know the 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 nature of uh, digital recording is such that uh, we had uh, a lot of controversy let's say about uh, the the content of the last record which was maybe 10 years ago and we had a whole lot of material that I think there was some discussion about putting out a, tw- a double record with Rock and Roll Submarine nobody wanted th- something like that I mean we didn't have the uh the momentum, the confidence. However, we did have a lot of good uh, material that was promising, and uh, basically, you know, I'm I'm not gonna, you know, I I have to say that a lot of this material, although it sounds to be a, a, a a recording session that may have happened uh, in the last 10 years. We took fragments from our outtakes and uh, we sat on them, argued about them, 
and we took, you know, judicious care to put something together that was a document that perhaps existed in our own imaginations, if you will. Uh, An urge that was, uh, you know, uh, uh, quantum mechanics based. Okay. I mean, listening to this album, it, it, it doesn't sound like you missed a beat. Like, I, I, when you, a band goes away for 10 or 11 years and you get a new album, you listen to it critically, like, well, can they still do it? Fuck, this album sounds great. Well, we're... I guess we're tinkerers, we're perfectionists, and uh, what can I say? I've been uh, a skeptic. Uh, I've been not certain that most music, new music, uh, built on the digital platforms of today really needs to exist. And I guess, uh, we took our time and we took some demos that had some fire that we felt deserved to be heard. If you hear something good in this record, it has to do with, uh, really us taking sort of time and looking back into our, our, you know, piles and piles of demos, we did record a lot of ideas and we took the skeletons of those ideas and over a period of time since uh, Rock and Roll Submarine, it ended up being 12 years don't ask me how that happened. Um, it felt more like five years, but it's the kind of thing where it needed to uh, marinate for a while. And, uh, you know, we took basically demos and brought them into a studio or two and worked on and tried to capture what was the germination of certain ideas that didn't make it onto the last record. And we kind of turned into, you know, perfectionists. As it turns out, it took a long time for us to agree. Nash and I had a lot of uh, conflicts over what was going to be on the record, what was going to sound like. And I think it's a result of a, you know, a, a long time, uh, a 10 year sort of chess game about if there's going to be another urge record, is it even going to happen? Should it happen? And if it happens, it's got to be to a certain, it's got to be up to our standards. For sure. And people seem to think that it is. I'm really glad it is because we've been it a bubble. Is. We've been in a, our our own bubble for a while, and and it's hard to tell what is meaningful musically. I mean, for us, I I think with this record, we did end up maybe working with people who were. Uh, it's a different crew from Rock and Roll Submarine. We worked with a couple people who I think are are a little more. Uh, you know, sonically uh, 
with us in the game, and I think that uh, some of the details are are you know th- this was this was something we wanted to do. We felt like uh, Rock Sub was a continuation of of you know Touch and Go, our, our, our mm-hmm. earlier songs. It was very scrappy. And we wanted to really get back to, we wanted to raise it to another level. And I think we worked with a couple of people that helped us do that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I suppose the record's not out, but you'll hear the, the results. I mean, yeah, well, it's, it's close. It. Well, it, it's close to coming out. Uh, and I don't want to keep you from eating. You got, Red Bona, I got you the, uh, the 10-inch beef, which is, I mean, that is Chicago with the Jardinera. You say Jardinera or Jardinera? Don't stop me, but uh, I say Jardinera. Yeah, okay, that's a Chicago thing. Uh, but you got—you actually were really wise about this. You got it dry, and normally it's delicious, you know, baptized, just dripping. But you're in a car, and it's harder to eat that way. So I think the dry beef was the pro move. Believe me, I get the uh, yeah, I get a little dip if I'm eating. Uh, inside. If you can hose off, James, right away. it's your car. I mean, no, I don't want to. I I. Respect. You know, I don't want to cause you any any distress. So we'll, we'll if eat. you don't mind me dining, oh please. My my children's favorite hobby is guessing what was eaten in the car the night before because it always smells like whatever uh, food was shared in the front seat. Great. Here. Well, you know I I'm. So this is the Italian beefless I mentioned, made with C10. It smells amazing. I did hot and sweet on it both of ours. It looks pretty legit. It's um, yeah, right? Yeah, it does. And I love it looks I, like a point of beef yeah. to me. I love the combination of hot and sweet. So you mentioned Ashkato, the the lean, suave crooner other vocal half of Urge <laughs> Overkill. Uh while I miss Nash Cato, I realized I had dinner with Nash. It was probably 2000. It was at South by Southwest. A very long time ago. There was no way Nash would remember this. Um, but I figured I had a dinner with Nash. It's only fair that I have dinner with just you. Well, thank you. And we'll just keep this going. Every 22 years, we'll rotate between you and Nash Cato for dinners. I do appreciate the gesture. All right. This is very tasty. Oh, of course. Of course. It's the best. All right. So let's talk about this new album, this long time coming new album. We let's start with let's start with some Eddie stuff. Let's start with the necessary evil. So long, yeah. Is this uh, is this a song about a toxic relationship? Where 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 are you coming from on this? I mean, I have to say that Yes, I've being uh, many years into adulthood. Uh, yes, I've come to believe that uh, the nature of human relationships are such that I do believe you need to keep a few things to yourselves and. Uh, you know, total honesty is a fantasy. Uh, I wouldn't say a toxic relationship, but, you know, to me, 
I think uh, I think one is best to you know when uh, I I've been accused of being you know too straightforward saying whatever comes to my mind and I find this shocking. I've, I've sort of realized that uh, yeah nobody <laughs> needs to hear that what I'm really thinking is best kept to myself and uh, some things you know it's yes withholding some part portion of the truth is in essence a necessary evil to existing in a relationship with another person. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a little too on the nose for what the song is about, but that's kind of uh, kind of the deal. But, you know, this was a song that's... Uh, it's not about a specific uh, person or relationship and, uh, you know, co-written with Nash Cato and we, we both uh, are, are rocking uh, the lyrics and the, the sentiment together. It's uh, specific, but it's not specific, you know. That makes sense. Uh, that was, So that was one of the songs that we got to hear before the release of the album. Another one, How Sweet the Light, speaking mm-hmm. of Nash Cato. Um, but lyrically, it, I think it's a really well-crafted song lyrically, uh, but then it does go to single entendre mm-hmm. by the end of the song. It does go to, and you sing back up on this, uh, or harmony, I want to scale your mountains, baby, then ski down your tits. You know, it's winter time. Is that just classic Nash Cato? It's classic Nash, what can you say? <laughs> I mean, I brought this up with Nash, and he was quite shocked uh, when I said, I mean, this, this is obviously a song about your best friend Jim who killed himself at the height of his career. I didn't realize it was about him. Jim from Material Issue. Jim Ellison. And I, I Jim didn't realize. didn't realize... Well, Nash didn't realize it was about him either, but I assumed it was. I mean, look, to me, uh, I think what what we have here is a... Is, uh, you know, uh, uh, an unconscious admission, you know, from Nash about deciding not to go the way Jim did. Nash right. has had some some really, I mean, this is no joke. He he's had some, you know, some some really dark times, and it's his when he says this is this is I'm walking away from my suicide. He says He's he not almost, joking. He almost crossed over. I mean, this is heavy stuff. And I, I, you know, when I when I brought up Jim and you know that this your best friend killed himself at the height of his career, he sort of like he kind of took a step or two back and was like, I, I didn't really realize that this song was about Jim, but it, it you know, it really. I think it really was, and I think he realized that 
he was in exactly the same place. And, uh, you know, some people decide to cross over and some don't. And what Nash was singing about is that he had to use the the idea that he was in love with this woman to be uh, uh, stay alive like everything else sucks and I'm heavily into this girl and that that thus the skiing down the tip it was like as simple as that and I think he was blown away by the idea that this is really I think he'd buried that so deep that Jim his best buddy I mean they were basically living together and partying night after night that was buried so deep that that Nash kind of decided to forget about Jim's suicide but I think it could have been either guy. Well, is, Nash, is Nash okay now? He's very happy. Great. Yes. That, that makes me happy to hear. He's, he's just such a uh, mega talented Yeah, I dude. think he's, he's gone, you know, past that. And, and you know, I, I don't want to go into the details sure. about, you know... T- Jim was going through such a rough patch, and uh, it didn't have to end up that way. But, uh, you know, I think it's really... It's really easy to be like, oh, I'm, I'm... You know, my best friend killed himself. Nash has totally buried that. Like, I'm too tough to, to deal with that. But it came out in this song. It's interesting how art and works, isn't it? I don't think it? he realized that, you know, I, I saw it, and he's like, well, this song's not about Jim. It's like, Nash, you kidding me? So, yeah, art is very interesting. And, uh, look, I mean, Nash is still with us. He's doing fine. But I think it could have been either guy. And uh, we were very shocked, and I, I think... Uh, that was a major. That was a major thing. Oh yeah, uh, for us, to have Jim die. He was a. He was a real. Uh, fan of, he, he was. He was somebody that that. We thought would be around forever, you know. Jim Ellison was one of those first guys. I, I mean, I met him once or twice in my life, but he was one of those guys, one of those, the first people who I saw in the Chicago music landscape who was a performer. He was a star. He was one of the first people who let me know that you didn't have to play an arena to perform like you're at an arena. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he just went for it every time he was on stage. Impressive guy. Let's let's talk about Nash from a positive spin. I can't stay glad at you, which is one of the songs on We, which people will be able to hear at the end of the month. Uh, this may be, I think, one of Nash's finer vocal moments. 
What do you think, sitting on the on the other side of the uh, studio? I love it. I'm always impressed. Um, he really goes for it on this. You know, Nash is is not a. Uh, The the the, uh, the image of Nash is that I'm some like sort of confident badass. You know, he really is. I think a student of great music and great vocals, and I think he's he originally didn't see himself as a singer at all, and was. Uh, you know, was given to experimentation and I was always backing him 100% to say, look, you can do this. But he's really, I think, uh, since our very first record is somebody that needed to have, uh, you know, he's, he's always was sort of like copying somebody else or on the, our very first record, he was sort of like, well, this is how Dave Vanian would sing or whatever. It's like people who can't really sing. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, I've got to say that, uh, you know, throughout the, the Urge's career, what you've got is somebody who's really uh, presents as a uh, kind of a crazy egomaniac, but he's not that person. He's actually a very uh, uh, shy, sensitive individual who, who uh, in front of the mic, comes up with some maddeningly great stuff. <laughs> and uh, it's it's really not really planned. It's like he's a fan of uh, Sam Cooke. He's a fan of soul music, big time. And uh, he... he uh, I think was able to fly with some vocal techniques that, you know, most people don't have the guts to go for. 100%. And that that's when you hear people like do that sort of cracking vocal or whatever he does is like, that's guts, man. It really He's is. He's got guts. One of the songs I'm anxious for people to hear on the album, which again comes out end of the month, is called We... Um, it's the French word we, it's the logo from the, the Born magazine. I digress. One of the songs I'm really excited for people to hear is A Prisoner's Dilemma. This, to me, is full of surprises. It, it, every time I think I know where the song's going, it kind of goes in a different direction. This feels inventive, it, it feels fun. Um, Nash gets a Steely Dan nod in there, or a reference in there with uh, Can't Buy a Thrill. It's just, it, it's this up-tempo, kind of unorthodox song structure song on the album very bizarre I've got to say Prisoner's Dilemma was uh, was a song that uh, Nash told me that uh, he wrote one afternoon and recorded a demo of and I didn't really understand like what it was about but you know the 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 record and and its its uh, its history is encapsulating the last uh, 
you know, 10 years of, mm-hmm. of, you know, American culture, there was a time when this was really a heightened thing that was happening. The story of Amanda Knox. Mm. Mm. And Nash, like, sat down one day and, like, he had a crystallized vision of his commentary on it. And it was quite uh, amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I listened to the, the, he did a demo and, and, uh, and had a, uh, sort of a three part opus about Amanda Knox, which was, you know, came quite, uh, it was done in his mind. And I'm like, what the fuck is this all about? But, you know, what can I say? It's got the, uh got a lot of great entertaining and funny elements to it but it's it's uh it's one of those things if you know urge and you know that on most records we have a sort of an opus uh that nash presents uh there's uh there's the uh hen ho which is the story of, uh, you know, a movie, mm-hmm. in a, a movie that never ex- existed. But in a song, there's the song about Selena, which is on uh, Exit the Dragon, uh, about the uh, singer who died. Right. And this is... Uh, this is the opus on this record that sort of comes out of nowhere that's sort of a historically realistic uh, presentation of uh, the Amanda Knox story I, I, I love knowing that it's like what the fuck it's man. like what the fuck it, it's seriously what the fuck by the way I got you a water I don't know if I mentioned that if you, if you need to wash down some of the uh, hot jardinero you mentioned Exit the Dragon one of my favorite Urge songs I don't think it's many other people's on many other people's favorite Urge song list it, it maybe it, it's un, uncommon I love Take Me and I love there's something about when both you and Nash are front and center on a song yeah. and that, that's what I've always loved about Take Me that happens again on this new album Follow My Shadow again people will get to hear it we really get both of you you know you need a napkin well we've got our yeah we've got our vocals Almost indistinguishable. It's like who's singing, who's who. Yeah, we we've always been able, we've been lucky enough to have uh, the blend. Our our, our vocals are our, our sounds are quite different, but when we blend them, I think that's a very astute comment. Uh, yeah, follow my shadow has that scary kind of blend of me and Nash and it sounds mm-hmm. like one person and uh yeah that does take place on take me it's like uh you know it's a magic that that uh that isn't manufactured it just seems to happen so I always thought take me was what would happen if Todd Rundgren wrote an urge overkill song it's got that kind of utopia vibe you, you could be like Todd Rundgren and Chasm Sultan we love Run Run. How can he not? Uh, well, let's talk about Follow My Shadow just one more, a little bit further. 
It has one of my favorite rhyme schemes because it's a forced rhyme scheme and it's kind of hilarious. Come on, come on, let's kill the dawn. We're gone. So strap on that night vision. You got to make the rhymes work. If the words right. aren't playing along, you got to make them fit. That's forcing it a little bit. Night vision. It cracked me up. And it works. Only, only you guys can pull that off. Look, that is total hilarious, but that is total Nash. <laughs> that is total hilarious. The night vision. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, are you sure? Look, I'm not, I'm, hey, you know me, I'm, I'm a born skeptic, but Nash can re-really, he's like, fucking, fuck yes. He sells it. Hey man, he sells it. The first thing we heard Cannot from, deny it. The first thing we heard from the album is your version of Freedom, which when I first heard it, it took me a second, I'm like, oh, that's the Wham song, like, you made it your own. It wasn't conspicuously Wham from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I've got to think back in the 1980s, maybe right before Jesus Urge Superstar, you guys weren't listening to George Michael and Wham. Maybe you missed that the first time around. Yeah, i got to say that the, the Wham cover is, uh, to be honest, it was one of those things where we were kind of breaking in the studio. Uh-huh. We uh, went up to this place in Minnesota, um... My high school buddy had found these guys who were the uh, the offspring of Bobby V, if you will. His sons had this uh, studio called Rock House, and you know they were pretty cool. They they had uh, some technical knowledge, and they had uh, set things up in such a way that it was a big square box and very uh, alike uh, you know the Abbey Road the, the, the size and and the, the sort of uh, the room sound of, of Abbey Road studio which was a big square box mm-hmm. and my uh my pal from high school had been, uh, you know, for for whatever reason, he's like the Zelig of uh, Urge's career. We'd gone to this guy's farm outside uh, my hometown in Minnesota to to write some of our most crucial material. Uh, it's called the Albrecht Farm. Uh, it was uh, crucial in. You know, going back to urge, uh, going back to a Jesus uh, urge superstar. We were there just as a place to go to travel and you know hang out. Anyway, he had a barn that we rehearsed in, and uh, you know he got to know these guys who were Bobby V's sons. You know. We don't know much about Bobby V, but he's he's the guy who stepped in when Buddy Holly uh, died, and they needed somebody else to go on stage, right. and that's what made his career. But uh, they had a studio in St. Joseph, Minnesota, and uh, we ended up recording there, and that was a sort of a lucky break because we, you know, we kind of hit it off with them. And I guess, you know, I don't know what my my point was, but uh, 
you ended they up were, recording a cover. You, they were, you know, they were there, and we were sort of like, okay, what do we do? Let's just, uh, yeah, that was the thing. We 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 wanted to break the ice, and uh, we had as a complete joke, we had this Wham song that we didn't have the music for. Neither of us remembered the lyrics or the the chord progression, but. It was like a way to break in the studio. And we very easily recorded it, and it was a very uh, effortless situation where we we kind of had this rocking track that, you know, whatever the fuck, it's, it's, a, it's a George Michael panned tune. But, uh, you know, the love that we always find to be uh, crucial in recording sessions was there where it was a team effort and everyone had a great time. So we honored uh, our first, you know, break in of the studio where we, we did do most of the important work in uh, taking the demos and all the, the tracks we had digitally and we put them up on the computer at the uh, the rock house there. And, uh, you know, most of the record, or, you know, more than half of it, was completed there in St. Joseph, Minnesota. It's a godforsaken town outside of a godforsaken town called St. Cloud, Minnesota. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> middle of winter, it's like, that's the urge style. You know, Nash is born in Grand Forks, North, North Dakota. I was born in Litchfield, Minnesota. We're actually from the great, you know, uh, western plains mm-hmm. of, of uh, our, our nation. And uh, we felt it was, uh, it made sense. And I think some of that, some of that vibe came through for this record. See, and I wondered with you put freedom out first, knowing how big "Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon" was for the band. I mean, it, it opened doors that maybe weren't open before. I wondered if there had been any concern or trepidation about leading with a cover, because certainly you don't want to be that band that does interesting covers of artists you wouldn't think of. I mean, you you are a rock band. You are a guitar-heavy, harmony Midwestern rock band. Was there any thought like, oh, I don't know if we should lead with the cover, or was it just like, oh, fuck it, it's so weird and different, why not? Well, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. We took this uh, group of songs, 12 songs, and trying to put put them together in a logical sense, It, to be honest with you, was the most logical place to put what had turned into sort of a uh, like an up-tempo rock song, you know? I mean, I, I wasn't... Uh, I, I was trepidatious about it, but the fact is, it's like, hey, we live in a... a, a continuum of, of music and, you know, part of... I guess it was it was our decision to sort of say, you know what, this isn't some big sort of serious 
deal. This is like, we like to have fun. It's not, it's not some like, you know, we we recorded a Wham song. Fuck you. <laughs> well, and the rules are different, right? You know what right? I mean? It, it, it's different from 1994 where singles out, Pulp Fiction's out, and that's that's the song you're married to mm-hmm. for, you know, however long that is. You could put out Freedom, and then you put out two singles after that before the... The rules, they, they're whatever you want them to be right now, and you don't have to have that be your one statement. I'm, I'm answering the question I asked you for you because... And I think just, that that was the deal. It's like, well, it makes sense. I mean, where else does that song make sense in the record? I don't know, but we feel like we felt like it needed to be on there. And I think it was a, a sort of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink as to like, look, urges about fun and knowingness and being a fan of music. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it made sense at the time. Did you... And, you know, that's obviously maybe even wouldn't have taken place if if we hadn't been a, a band associated with another cover mm-hmm. in our past. So it was... Yeah, it was a little bit of a fuck you, I guess. I love it. Uh, did, you also, did you also write Snow in the Godforsaken Minnesota town? It seems like if you're going to write a song called Snow, it'd be in Minnesota. Absolutely. <laughs> Which, by the way, that that's was a, the another, ed, another great Eddie song on this album. You need to hear it when the album comes out. This is this one's all you. Yeah, it's it's a dark one, but it, uh, hey, you know we we try to be multifaceted, and that that's tough. I mean, most bands can benefit from being a little bit more focused and with urge we just let our shit fly and we can't we we deal with it later you know it's the most eclectic um group of of songs you can imagine and and this is uh you know it's it's not the easiest thing to put to put together uh 12 songs that that really have a lot of disparate they're recorded at disparate times mm-hmm. they're you know Urge has always been a, a, a painfully eclectic band and this is you know this is something we're proud of but you know it it doesn't it doesn't Lend it, it doesn't uh, bode well for commercial success. You know, I although who I knows love, what that even means now. I mean, really. I mean, look, I, I love like Weezer. Basically, every song sounds the same. I wish we would, could be like those guys. They had one. They had a very. They had a targeted like every song sounds basically three degrees from the other, and that's why they're successful. God love them, but we couldn't do that. And we're not them. And, I mean, this isn't even a question we need to, <clears throat> to try to answer on this podcast, but really, what does commercial success look like? It's very different from when Sister Havana was on the radio or Girl, You'll Be... Or even The Break. I mean, things... The I mean, rules, it was a long time ago. Yeah. But... I, I don't even know what what the goals are now. It's well, not radio. Is it? 
I don't think so. I don't think that... Uh, I, I don't... I don't know that much about it, but... You know, I've listened to... Uh, You know, sometimes you you put on the 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 lo local station XRT, and I mm -hmm. feel like it's yeah, it's kind of a painful brew of of uh, what may be. Uh, look, I don't want to say anything about. I was, was going to say but, unless they want to play something off your album, in which case they're fantastic. And and they do look. I really think it's a great uh, it's been great that that uh, our record isn't even out yet and I think there are people who who I'm surprised are coming out of the woodwork and saying you know we really think this is cool well and it, sometimes you have to go away for and a I'm bit. very cool with it yeah and I, it's no shock to you and no surprise when I say that the landscape has been craving the rock. Straightforward, semi-ironic guitar rock is missing from the landscape right now. Like there's a there's a an urge urge-sized hole in the music music landscape right now. We need you. You're coming to our rescue. You're giving medicine to the sick. I certainly hope so. <laughs> I, I do want to mention to finish your sandwich. We're at the Buena Beef. I'm going to eat this goddamn sandwich. Yes, you it are. It kills me. I'm going to try to talk for a little while as, as you finish that off. We're at the Bono Beef in Skokie. <laughs> I'm not even trying. I, I'm pretty impressed. That is a 10-inch Italian beef. He got it dry with Chardonnay and sweet peppers. Uh, we're at the Bono in Skokie, the beefless bowl. I've, I've been having the Italian beefless. Uh, it is so good, but they put it in a bowl as of this month, which is great for your New Year's resolutions. If you, if you need to take a little break from meat, go for the beefless bowl. It's got vegan cheese. I got it with the hot jardinero, which is really good, uh, and sweet peppers because you got to mix it up. You can get that right now. Use my promo code Carne Ten C A R. But I've got to recommend this. Oh, it's the classic, Eddie. I mean, come on. It's, you, it's a meal you fit can't, for. A, it's a meal fit for a king, is what it is. If Ladies you will, Eddie King, I will. Eddie Thank King Rosa, right much. here. Uh, Thank we, you very much, sir. Uh, so again, the album We comes out at the end of the month. It is Urge. Urge is back. Can we talk a little bit about uh, the history of Urge? Can we go back into the uh, mm -hmm. the storybook, so to speak, <laughs> if you will? Talking about you know the, the time when Material Issue was on stage and Urge was taking off. What do you remember? Because there was that period of time in the early 1990s where Chicago became ground zero. All eyes were on this city and its music scene, and specifically they were looking at bands like Material Issue. They were looking at Liz Fair. They were looking at the Smashing Pumpkins. They were looking at Urge Overkill. What do you remember from that period? Was it was it as bananas as it seemed on paper? I guess people assume that uh, everybody was sort of in a... That there was sort of a scene where, where everyone was, uh, you know, having a great time. And, and we, we didn't really, except for Urge and Liz Fair, we did have a... a you know, I guess in Nash's situation, had a quite an intimate 
uh, relationship with those guys. But the the pumpkins, we we didn't really hang out with them, and it was it was all sort of an atomized uh, experience where we didn't. People assume there was a scene more than there actually was. I think. And I think it was it was one of those things where the the people in the city were the city was was getting some attention for the talent that was there, but it it was very disparate, and I don't remember it as being uh, uh, like a kumbaya moment. Uh, like like all places, you know, you'll ask the Seattle bands to the same thing. It's like, well, we didn't think there was a great scene going on. It, it's largely, um, you know, created as it's it's sort of a myth that at a certain time, you know, there were certain bands coming out. But I don't think we had a whole lot uh, in common. In fact, Urge was sort of a, a statement against the kind of industrial. Uh, you were like the anti-wax. Yeah, fan? we yeah we we were very much not into you know the wax wax tracks aesthetic that was kind of maybe a humorless, uh, unironic. Uh, we, we felt was more of a. Uh, I think Al Jorgensen is a great sense of humor. Dark, yeah, dark as hell. He did, and, and I, I, but I don't know that that was totally understood at the time, Fair. And, and that I think he he was sort of, uh, you know, misunderstood as being like Mister Serious. I want to die. Poor, poor Nash. I mean, Al Al Jorgensen almost killed the guy. I don't want to go into that, but uh, yeah. There were there were a lot of uh, cross pollination moments that didn't happen uh, publicly, but you know I I think it's cool that uh, you know there there was uh, a magic moment uh, that Chicago had, and I I'm only imagining that. Uh, you know, rock music as seen as a Chicago thing, you know, perhaps it'll never exist again in the same way, but I'm not gonna be too skeptical because we're still here. That's it. And there's still some great music happening here. 100%. There always will be. I'm not gonna give up on that. When said- I mean, hell. We we sure we sure as hell got more serious roots than uh, Los Angeles or New York. Come on, absolutely. When Saturation came out, did you have expectations? Did you think, well, this is it? You know, this is going to be our Nevermind. This is going to be the one that takes us from Clark Street to Wilshire Boulevard. I think Urge couldn't have been. Uh, sort of more suspicious about um, you know we were on the label of the moment and uh, 
we were sort of told that, uh, I think we were led to believe that, and people at the label were absolutely positive that Urge was going to literally take over the world. And it turns out that bands like uh, Stone Temple Pilots and uh, who's that other horrible band from San Francisco? The Black Crows wrongly took over. <laughs> the, people were stupid enough at that time to prefer bands like that to urge overkill. I mean, it was baffling. And the, ba- the, the, the label was baffled as well. That wasn't their plan. No, I'm sure it wasn't. They didn't think... The, um, uh, what's the what's the name of that band uh, from San Francisco? That horrible guy with the dreadlocks. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just said the name. Black Crows. Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, Black Crows. No, not Black Crows. The other guys from... It, they were on Geffen too. I mean, it it sort of was a a bizarre thing where, you know, the people speak. And I think Urge was a little bit, at the time, we were like five minutes too early. Yeah, yeah. And they fully believed that Urge was going to be the next band that took over. And it was... uh, it's, it's, It's not... Mr... Mr. Crow, Mr. What is oh, that ca- fucking song? It's Counting Crows. That's right. Yes, there is. I should have picked up. That, on that was yet. the band that hit. Instead That's right. Of that Urge. was that was a Geffen act, and yep. and and that was the last thing they expected. It's like this stupid guy with dreadlocks, and all he did was shake him around in this video. It's like, well, I guess people like this, not like. People loved it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That was massive. And they were like, well, Urge, sorry. <laughs> I guess people like this. And this was the thing that was the people speak. You know, it was too, we were five minutes too early. And, like, That's... people were into, like, that whatever kind of bullshit San Francisco fakery that was. And it really fucked us. It did. I, I will say, I'm still mad at you guys from Saturation. Positive Bleeding, one of my favorite riffs, one of my, you know, everyone, one of everyone's favorite Urge songs. It fucked up so many of my mixtapes because the way the song ends. When yeah. you're going song to song, it's like, oh, I really want to put this on a mixtape, but they put all that stuff at the end. I don't know. Yeah, it was very uh, un- inconclusive. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that you know, hey. It was it was the time when there were a lot of uh, rock records being sold, and uh, you know we we were there were certain expectations about saturation that didn't come out because there were a couple other bands on this label that really hit it big, and Weezer was another band that that just sure. hit really huge at the time that we were you know, in the pipeline 
And I love that band. I mean, they, they certainly deserve what they reaped. But uh, that was another kind of unexpected, huge hit. That urge kind of was ready to step in. And, uh, you know, hey, what can you say? I'm not going to complain. We've... Uh, We've been able to make our mark in in the world. And you said that like, you're still you know, here. Uh, yeah, we're still I, talking about Urge Overkill. It's it's 2022. There's a new album. Um, I want to briefly talk about Exit the Dragon because it's well documented that that was an album that was fraught with trouble, conflict, issues. I still think the album sounds really good. Like, d- despite all odds, there are some great I, songs on there. I appreciate what you say, um, and I have to say that the the production and we we have always been steadfast uh, in the opinion that in terms of artistic success and aesthetic success um, Exit the Dragon was the, the record we wanted to make and maybe America wasn't ready for it yet the, the, the label really was hoping for another good time romp uh, all the uh, a saturation mm-hmm. and they were sort of shocked our best friends in the in the industry our fan our big our biggest fans uh were sort of like i remember uh you know the the drummer from the smash of pumpkins was like you fucking idiots why didn't you just do you guys didn't do saturation too you'd be fucking <laughs> sitting pretty right now what the fuck were you thinking it's like dude we do what we do you know i'm sorry and uh people were baffled but i appreciate that because i think it was the document we needed to make mm-hmm. not to be over dramatic but uh you know we we weren't we're not a careerist band you know right and i don't know if people I'm not going to accuse anybody else of being such, but we did what we felt was artistically right. And I think it was a very painful record done in painful situation and is a, uh, you will find in the grooves uh, some real tragedy there. That's real fucking sick stuff well and honestly two of I think your best moments musically jaywalking and the break are both I mean those those are classic king moments well I appreciate it yeah it's it's uh you know I I you know as a band where we were all fully uh behind what we put out mm-hmm. and I think it was you know it's the the verities of the times where uh you know Hey, the 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 history of art is riddled with uh, you know what's popular and what's going to last for for you know eternity. I think I can feel good about all of the urge records that were put out, including the one that's coming out uh, in in the latest month. I mean, we had some real battles about whether this was something that was going to live up to the urge uh, 
name. And I think we did, you know, we did come up with something that that I think is getting. Uh, I'm I'm very happy that that we're getting some some great response from the new record. It sounds like you guys never went away, you know, and that that's... and I, I really appreciate that. And and I've heard that from from enough people that. Yeah, it really means a lot to us. I love it. All right, so the album is We, O-U-I. Uh, it'll be fully streamable and accessible, and also on vinyl, as an Urge Overkill really should be. There's something about an Urge record. I would recommend those who can get a hold of the LP. Right. You know, I, I, that, that, I that's did the hear aesthetic it on right LP. There. I, I heard it on the LP, and it really does. It really makes sense to me uh, on the vinyl. Mm-hmm. I know a cliche to say such a thing, but it really uh, makes sense when you hear it on those uh, on those final grooves. I was surprised at how much the the sort of disparate uh, project that was we, uh, you know, ten years in the making, came together on the vinyl grooves. It really makes sense. So Awesome. All right, Eddie King-Roser, thanks for joining me at Bona. On the coldest night of the year so far, would maybe end up being the coldest night of the year, period. It's it's bad out there. But boy, did that sandwich warm me up. Oh, yeah, the, the, the hot chardonnay is going to toast you right up. Where did it go? <laughs> like magic, it disappeared. Uh, we is the new album. He's the king. Uh, listen to the new urge. It, like I said, it's like they never went away. It's awesome. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Thank you, Eddie King-Roser. Rock on, James. <laughs>